The scripture says, and now abideth faith. Boy, there's that incredible commodity with which we don't have it. There's no pleasure before God at all. And now abideth faith, hope. Boy, there's that first cousin of faith. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. No hope, no faith. That's why the devil wants to drain the hope out of us. Because when the hope is gone, Brother Barton, the faith is gone. No one is a man of great faith who isn't a man or a woman of great hope. He says, now abides faith, hope. And then he uses the word charity, and you know that means love. Now abide the faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is, say out loud the next word, charity. God says there's something that matters more to me than faith. And that's charity. In the days in which the scriptures were written, and I beg you, Listen carefully for the next few moments. Because we're living in a society and now in a church that is massively confused on what charity is. In the day in which the Bible was written, there were three words, all of which were translated love. The first word that was used in the day the scriptures were written was the word eros, E-R-O-S. And this is a wonderful word because it's a very special kind of love. And by the way, it's the love word that the world recognizes. From the word eros, we get the word erotic. The word eris means a sensual, a feeling. It's that tingle kind of love. A young man sees a young lady and he says, I think I am fallen in love. And you say, what makes you think that? Oh, the feelings I have. That's that how many of y'all remember when you heiress told your hand up well yeah, yeah. sure this word is not always bad it's a, a wonderful kind of love but that word is never one time used in the bible Never one time did God use that word. Now, when the world says love, that's what they think of, that, that feeling, those senses. The husband says, well, I'm going to leave my wife because I don't love her anymore. What do you mean you don't love her anymore? Well, I don't have those feelings anymore. Listen. Never one time did God use that word. When he said, husbands, love your wives, he didn't use that word. When it says God so loved the world, he did not use that word. That word's not found in Scripture. Now that sensey, tingly, physical kind of love is, is delightful and sometimes absolutely adorable. Have you ever seen when a new baby comes to church and, and all the, the moms and everybody get around it and they say, show us the baby, show us the baby? And everybody says, oh, how gorgeous, how, oh, I love her. You know what you're feeling? You're feeling heiress. You're feeling those senses. It's not a bad word, but an unsaved person can heiress. A saved person can heiress. And never one time did God in his holy word 
use that word. There's a second word that was translated love. Number one was eris. Number two was the word philio. P-H-I-L-E-O. We get the word philanthropic from this word. It's the love of a nice person. It's a character-based kind of love. Have you ever known somebody who's not saved? They don't make any pretense of being saved. They do not know Jesus, but they're just a nice person. And you say, what a nice person. What a loving man. What a loving woman. You know what you're talking about? They are filioing. It's the love of a nice, charactered person. In church, we'd be thrilled if most people just filioed. If they'd just be nice. I'd be thrilled if all the preachers filioed. My good. Now, do you understand? An unsaved person can heiress, and an unsaved person can filio. And when God says there's something greater than faith, it wasn't heiress and it wasn't filio. A mom sits up all night with a sick child. And you say, my, how that mother loves that child. That's filio. You say, why does that mom do it? For the same reason that a dad who was up with that sick child all night, the next morning with no sleep, got out of bed and went to work hurting. He loves that child child and there's a character there and that's filio it's a powerful love but that's not what god commands god never commanded you and i to eris he never commanded us to filio there's a third word for love and this is the word that god created and while an unsaved person can heiress and an unsaved person can filio, you got to be saved to do this third love. It's the word agape. A-G-A-P-E. Because you see, this is a love authored and birthed by God. It's not a nice person. It's God in a person. It's a love where God channels it through that person. And God says, I am commanding you to agape. Show this world, show my people my love. Not a sensual love, not a nice person love, but the love of God. If I were to ask you last week, On a 0 to 10 scale with 0 not being good and 10 being what God would have, how did you agape? Well, you say, David, the truth is I didn't even much think about it. Well, I have a frightening thing to tell you. No one agapes by accident. It's a decision. That's why when Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he said, and above all these things, he said, I want you to put on agape. He said, I want this decision to be made. No one just gets it in the night. You won't one morning roll out of bed and say, well, will you look at that? I'm agapeing. <laughs> it takes a decision. Now, God says some frightening things to his people. This passage we're reading was not addressed to the lost. It was addressed to the believer. And we're going to read the first three verses of this passage. 
Because to me, they're frightening. God says, if you don't show this world my love, if you're not agapeing, he said, I want to warn you of some things. Chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, that's agape is the word there. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not agape, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal was what businessmen did in the marketplace when they wanted to get your attention. They produced the most irritating noise imaginable. Because above everybody else bidding for your attention, they wanted to capture you over all that clamor and all that noise. And so they would make these super, super irritating noises so you'd look their way. And those noises were called sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. I want to paraphrase. God says, if you're not agapeing, you are nothing but an irritating noise. Whoa. David, how come the world treats our message like it's so irritating? And then we turn around and take pride that it's irritating. Well, they just can't take a strict truth. You know what God said? If David Gibbs isn't agapeing, his message is an irritating noise. If greater vision isn't agapeing, their singing is an irritating noise. I wonder, have you ever been in your car and you're sitting at a stoplight and a car pulls up to you? And in that car next to you, there is this hyper-irritating noise going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it goes through their frame, through their tires, into the pavement, across the pavement, up through your tires, through your frame, and into your backside. And how many of you ever felt the vibrations, right? I mean, yeah. And how many of you ever sat there and said, that is irritating? You know what? That's you and that's me. If we don't have this love, we are an irritating noise. Look at the second warning he gives. And by the way, mom and dad, God says, if you're not agapeing at home, your home is full of irritating noise. Well, how many times do I have to tell you kids to pick that up? I don't understand why our kids, a terrifying statistics, fundamental Bible-believing churches are losing 70% of our kids. How can that happen? Well, I'll tell you one thing, irritating noise will put them to flight in a heartbeat. Look at the second warning, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, can you imagine? All mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith. Now, remember what God said, faith the size of a grain of mustard seed will move a mountain. Can you imagine, God says, forget the mustard seed, if you've got all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not agape charity, say out loud the next three words. I am nothing. My goodness, nothing. 
Where I live in Florida is uncommonly flat. Highest point in our state is 140 feet. Average height is 13 feet above sea level. And I think it would be nice if we had some of your mountains down there. So can you imagine if I said, when I dismiss tonight, I'll be going outside and moving a mountain range, if you'd like to watch. <laughs> and I walked outside and said, now, and it's gone. And Orlando has a new attraction. How many of you would be amazed if I did that? Hold your hand up. I know I would be. <laughs> you know what God says? If David gives that, does that, and he's not agapeing, he's nothing. Nothing. I wonder when we stand before the Lord, how much God's going to say, yep, you thought you did a lot. <laughs> And it was nothing. Nothing. Look at the third warning. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now I know people who've given greatly. But here's all. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. And have not agape charity. It profiteth me. Say out loud the last word nothing. You know what I'm afraid, Brother Ralph? There's been a heap of people who've given who when we get to heaven we're going to say and God's going to say there was no agape. And it profited you nothing. Tonight, I beg you, in the heritage of this man, but for sure, in light of Scripture, America's greatest need is to see some Christians who know how to love. Who know how to agape. Now that does not mean that we compromise the truth of this book. That doesn't mean that we lay down and forget and fail to contend for the faith. But it means we contend while we are agapeing. Now, so that no one is confused about what agape is, God gives 10 benchmarks. They're in the next few verses. I want to submit to you everyone should memorize this passage. I require everyone in our ministry to memorize this. Because absent these benchmarks, we're not agapeing. He says, this agape, charity, suffereth long. Now, circle the word long. It's written in the continuum. Uh, we don't do this in our language, but in the language of that day, you could put it in a tense where you said it once, but everyone understood it was to be said infinitely. So God says, it suffereth long, 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 and you'd never, you can't wear it out. How quick does something wear you out? You can't wear agape out. You say, now wait a minute, David, get real. I can't do that. You're right. That's why it takes the love of God in you. You can wear Eris out. You can wear Filio out. You can't wear agape out. That's it, I've had it, I'm not putting up with that. Those words should never come if you're agapeing. And remember, agape is a command. This is not a desirable extra. God says, I command you to agape. How many of you remember Lester Roloff? Hold your hand up, will you? We're in a trial. And the lawyer on the other side is one of the nastiest, meanest, smartest, most devious, wicked people I've ever met. His goal in life is to put Lester Roloff in prison and destroy his ministry. And you didn't have to wonder because he would say it. 
he would say, I will not sleep till that preacher is in prison. And he said, it's my goal in life to do that. This lawyer and I did not get along. As close as I've ever come to hitting anybody, I almost took a swing at him one day. In court, every time he'd pass behind us, he would swear the most vulgar things imaginable at the pastor. I don't mean just profane. I mean vulgar. And, and then when I'd go tell the judge, he'd swear he didn't. One day he walked by and swore, and I stood up and I said, you ever swear at him again? You, I promise, are going to brush your teeth out the back of your neck. Because I'm going to put them there. He looked at me and he said, you wouldn't. I said, I promise you I will. I said, I'll get put in jail and it'll be worth every bit of it. This guy got me. How many of you ever had somebody get you? Hold your hand up. I mean, just... I found myself thinking about how to do him harm. <laughs> and then I'd say, have you ever said that? How many of you ever said, I really shouldn't think like that? How many of y'all have ever said that? And then you thought of it some more, right? I mean, it just... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to explain it. The trial went on forever. We're in court going into the 40th day. I told Brother Roloff, I said, I'll meet you up in court in the morning. I want to go through some things. I want you to practice some things on the stand. And I said, trial doesn't start till 10 o'clock. I'll meet you at 8 o'clock. And boy, at 8 o'clock, he met me at the courtroom. We walked up there. And when we walked in, little did I know my life was about to be changed. Because I not only had the idea to come early, Mr. Wicked Mouth had the idea to come early. I mean, this guy is the devil's cousin. When I saw him, it just upset me. I walked in the courtroom, I had a big stack of books. I let him hit the table. Big, tall ceiling courtroom. That noise bounced and echoed around. And I looked at that lawyer and I said, Brother Roloff, there's something that stinks in this room. There's a stench that's putrid. Let's leave. That's what I said. Lester Roloff touched my arm. And he said, David, you're going nowhere with God like that. With that, he left me and he walked across this courtroom and came to this man who's trying to destroy him. These are the people who turned him into the IRS. These are the people who brought him. Well, they did everything to cause him harm. He walked up to this man and here's what he said almost verbatim. He said, I want you to know that I love you. This lawyer stood up and he said, you love me. He said, I want you to know I really do. He said, and the cry of my heart is that you'd get saved. Now I'm standing over here watching this. And I'm like, I don't want him to get saved. <laughs> he gets saved, he'll be in heaven. It'll wreck it for me. I'm telling you right now, I do not want him in heaven. I mean, that man is a sinner. How many of you understand that's all that's going to be in heaven is sinners saved by grace?
he reached out and he hugged the guy. And then Brother Roloff started to cry. And he said, I know you want to hurt me. But he said, you're like Paul. You're tearing us up. Just like Paul tore the church up. And he said, if you'd get saved, you could do something great for God. He said, I'm loving you. That lawyer went to pieces. He said, I, 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 I never heard anybody stumble for 60 seconds looking for a word. He said, well, I, 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 you want to see God do something. Unleash his love on your family. Unleash his love on this nation. Court started at 10 o'clock. The judge walked in. Judge turned to us. He said, Mr. Gibbs, you're ready to proceed? I said, Your Honor, we're ready. He turned to the other lawyer. He said, You're ready to proceed? And he stood up and he said, No, Your Honor, I'm not. He said, What's the matter? He said, My heart isn't in this anymore. Those were his words. The judge says, you mean you got heartburn or something? What's the matter? <laughs> I said, what do you say? He said, no, I don't have any heartburn. But he said, my heart is not in this. You see, God's love is what he used to reach you. God's love is what God used to change things through the centuries. And now we're trying to do it without it. And God says, if you don't have it, you're nothing but an irritating noise. If you don't have it, it profits you nothing, no matter what you do. Build that new auditorium. It will profit nothing without this love. He says, without this love, you're a nothing in God's hands. Because this love is what enables God to use you. You see, I wanted God to use me like I was. We all want God's power. We don't want God's interference. And God says, I want to, through that love, change everything. Look at the next thing he says about this love. You can't wear it out, and it's kind. It amazes me when I talk to Christians and I ask them, does the Bible command us to be kind? How many Christians say, no, not really. It, you probably would be kind if you did everything the Bible does command us. That's not true. The Bible commands us to be kind. I wonder if you can say, I am world-class at kindness. No one is any better of a Christian than they are kind. And I wonder if you can say, man, I am, by God's grace, world-class kind. If you are agapeing, you will be world-class kind. I wonder if you can say, boy, today was I kind. This past week, was I ever kind? Oh, you say, David, if I was kind all the time, you know, our home would be like Christian. That's right. You see, we've forgotten kindness isn't something we're to do now and then. Kindness is to be us. Are you kind? Those of you who know me and know I do not like to get up in the morning. Brother Gerald, I'm not a morning person. Stay up all night, no problem. Stay up two nights, no problem. But once I go to bed, I don't like getting up. Now, I get up, I don't like getting up. How many of you do not enjoy getting up? Hold your hand, there you go. You shall reign in the new Jerusalem, you will. Yeah. 
That's what the Bible says. Hey, it says there'll be no more night. You'll never have to get up, right? I mean, we're not going to have that. I have a 6 a.m. flight. To get a 6 a.m. flight, I got to get up at 3 a.m. I get to the airport. I'm just chugging away, getting the day done. Man, I'm picking up all the emails wirelessly in the airport that have stacked up in the night. And they made an announcement, kind of a neat announcement. They said, this is the maiden flight for a brand new airplane that our airline has just purchased. We're going to buy a bunch of them, but this is the first one. And you get to fly on it for the first time. And because you're the first passengers to fly on it, everybody is getting 500 extra mileage points. I thought, neat. Looked out there in the dark, beautiful, shiny, big airplane. I thought, boy, that's a slick looking airplane, isn't it? They start loading. I get on, turn down the aisle, and something happened looking down that aisle. I looked at the seats. They were the smallest, most ridiculous seats I've ever seen. I don't know who they're building them for. How many of you know they're making the seats smaller this way? And, and most of us, I, I tell them, once I'm in this seat, I do not need a seat belt. I really don't. Don't you laugh at me. Some of you aren't going anywhere either. I thought, turn this baby upside down. I'm not going to get out. I'm, I've often thought, you know, when they do that thing, if there's an emergency evacuation, if there is, me and the seat will leave together. Boy, I mean, that'll be quicker than trying to get wedged out. And it wasn't just this way. It's this way. They got these... I mean, it's nuts. When the guy in front of you lays back, you could examine his teeth and do dental work. I mean, his head is in your lap. I am looking at this, and I can't explain it, but it upset me just looking at him. Can I tell you? When you get upset, that's the door that stops you from agape When something bugs you, Agape is about to leave the premise. Hmm. How many of y'all ever got upset driving your car? Hold your hand up, will you? Yeah. Agape is about to... I walked towards the back of the plane where my seat was, and there's a flight attendant standing there. Nice lady. I don't know her from anybody. But here is exactly what I said to her. I said, ma'am, with all due respect, that is the most ridiculous, puny seat I've ever seen. Now, how many of you know the word puny? That's an Alabama word, all right? It means ridiculously small. I said, that's the most ridiculous, puny seat I've ever seen. Like that with people all around, she flashed back at me. I didn't say anything to her personal. I just said, that's the most ridiculous, puny seat I've ever seen. Like that, she said, well, you could lose weight, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, 20 to 6. This is just what I need. The mouth of the South, right? Kaboom. I want to tell you, when she said that, I lost it. She said, you could lose weight, you know. I said, you know what, you're right, and you could get prettier. I said, you are unquestionably one of the most cosmetically challenged people I've ever met. She looked at me and she said, well, well I, I never. I said, well, now you have. You say, what about kind? What's that got to do with anything? She started it. 
Now, it didn't help that probably a dozen people around me started applauding. They say, hey, that was good. And, <laughs> and there's an old boy there who gets out his pennies. I want to write that down. What'd you say now? It's... <laughs> I want to warn you, I'm sinning and I feel wonderful. Most of the time, when you're not kind, you feel great and totally justified. The believer is never justified, never, in being unkind. I'm taking my coat off. I feel good. I mean, she started it. I didn't. On top of that, she should never have... And you know what? Because they shouldn't have done something gives you no right to do something. I'm taking my coat off, Brother Ralph. I'm putting it up in the bin overhead. And when I did, some of my gospel tracks just fell right out. And I picked them up, and as clear as I'm talking to you, Lord said, probably not a good idea to give it to her right now. <laughs> And I said, no, not right now, no. <laughs> Can I tell you something? The world doesn't want to hear what you've got to say until you agape. Your voice is an irritating noise until that agape is there. Guy sitting there next to me said, man, you really blitzed her one good. I thought, yeah, that's wonderful. I made my way back up to the front, Brother Ralph, a job because people are coming down the aisle and you have to keep stepping in seats to work your way back up. And I got up by her and I said, uh, can I talk to you a minute? She's still crying. She turned around and she said, I, I've really heard quite enough from you. I said, I know. But I'm here to ask you to forgive me. I said, what I just did to you, my faith forbids. What I just did to you was a sin. I am really sorry. Will you forgive me? There were three flight attendants standing there, and it got as quiet as right now. Two people sitting over here, guy said, did he ask him to forgive? She said, you want me to forgive you? I said, yeah. She said, mister, I've been a flight attendant for 22 years. And in 22 years, nobody's asked me to forgive him. I said, well, I am right now. Because what I did to you broke the heart of God. I told her, I'm without excuse. I know better. Forgive me. I said, I wouldn't blame you for not taking this, but don't hold me against this, okay? I said, would you take it? She said, yeah. The two behind her, one spoke up and said, have you got any more of those? I said, yeah, I do. What's it going to take for us to get the ear of this world? It's going to take agape. I didn't change those hearts standing there. God did. But what he used was his love. Love is kind. The flight wasn't very long, Brother Ralph, just about an hour. I'm getting off the plane in Atlanta, and I'm working my way from the back up. And I'm about the distance from here to the choir, and the captain's up there shaking hands in the front. And then I hear the captain say, is that the guy, that one right there? And I thought, oh, sweet Alabama, here it comes. Um, 
How many of you ever been worried your mouth was going to get you in trouble? How many of you all ever had that fear? I thought, oh boy, I'm going to catch it now. And I come up and he stuck out his hand, this Delta captain. And he said, Mr. I'm a born again Christian. And he said, I want to thank you. We don't see many kind Christians on our flight. We don't see many kind Christians. He said, I just want to thank you. I said, well, I, I wasn't real kind. He said, I heard the story. He said, thanks. When you start loving, get ready for God to open doors you can't imagine. Get ready for God to start doing some things that are going to absolutely mystify and amaze you. Because God said this is better than faith. This is greater than hope. This is what's more important. Now faith is critical. Hope is critical. But it's going nowhere without this love. That's what the word says. I was finishing a case in Alaska. And the trial went well. We were kind of out in the Aleutian chain. Anybody here ever been to Alaska? Y'all ever been there, anybody? It's an incredible wilderness, unbelievably vast. I have a flight to leave and go back to Anchorage, and from there I'm going home. We're done with the case, and a pastor walks up to me. There's been probably two dozen pastors at the trial. And he said, Brother Gibbs, I know you have a, a ticket to go back to Anchorage. I said, I sure do. He said, I'd like to help save some money. He said, I have an airplane. I'm a pilot. My airplane is here. I will fly you back to Anchorage. I said, well, thanks a lot, but I said, I got a ticket. I want to be real honest with you. I'm not real big on little airplanes, but I'm really not big on little airplanes that preachers fly. Am I right? How many of you all understand that one, right? Because they start equating flying with faith and things like that, you know, and you can get in a lot of trouble in a hurry. He said, oh, no problem, no problem. About a half an hour went by. He comes back again, and this time he has five other preachers with him. And he said, look, I know you said no, but he said, maybe saving God's money doesn't matter to you. But he said, it all matters to us, and we're kind of grieved that you won't let us save this. He said, well, why don't you get in the plane? And all these people, these are like Job's friends standing behind him, all shaking their heads. That's right, you should save the money. And I'm, I'm kind of like feeling trapped. Have you ever felt trapped? I mean, have you ever done something that you had a feeling about that maybe you shouldn't do? Well, this was that. I said, you know, I, I really, he said, no, come on. He said, now the guy I'm with didn't help. He, he said, well, come on, we could save that money. That's probably, I'm like, get on my side. I mean, we're this, and finally I gave in. I said, okay. Next thing I know, we're on our way out to the airport, and we go see his little plane, and it's kind of a nice-looking plane. It's shiny, and I think that's good. How many of you are going to fly in a plane would like it to be shiny versus not shiny, right? And I thought shiny is good. It's got two engines. Now, it's a little different. One engine's in the front and one's in the back. And I asked him, I said, do they both go at once, or is one like a backup? He said, no, they both go at once. I said, well, good, it's got two engines. This is good. And I'm praying heavy duty. How many of you ever prayed because you knew you were probably doing something that maybe you shouldn't do? And, and you're saying, God help me anyway, okay? <laughs> Have you ever been speeding and say, please, Lord, don't let me get a ticket? You know what I mean? It's that kind of prayer, okay? Now, I'm looking at this, and my friend hits me on the sleeve, and he says, this is a good-looking plane. See, you were upset over nothing. I said, yeah, maybe. He said, you're just a nervous Nelly. It's going to work great. I said, yeah, maybe. Pilot gets in. I get in. My friend gets in the back seat. And I'm looking at it, and it all looks pretty nice to me. And plane starts right up. 
I think that's a good sign. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, I thought, man, these engines start right off, that's good. And then I said to him, I said, do you talk on the radio, is that how you get out of here? He said, no, these are all uncontrolled fields. He said, you don't use the radio. And then he said something that kind of bothered me. He said, in 20 years I've not used the radio. I said, you fly without using the radio. He said, yeah. He said, a lot of pilots, and I later found out a lot of pilots in Alaska fly bush style and they don't use the radios very much or at all. Well, he taxis the plane out and it goes out pretty nice and I thought, seems like he handles it good. And then he explains, he said, we wanna bring the rear engine in first to make sure it's up to power, then we're gonna do the front engine. And I thought, boy, that sounds good to me. Yeah, it's like professional. And down the runway we go. It is wonderful. The plane lifts off, just severe smooth. I mean, it's wonderful. We fly up into the air, maybe 150 to 200 feet, and we go into the clouds. And then something happened that I wish never to have happened again. <laughs> we go into the clouds, and we're not in the clouds 10 seconds. And the preacher flying the plane says, I'm losing it. I said, you're what now? <laughs> and with that, he lets go. He said, I can't fly in the clouds. I said, yes, you can. <laughs> you can fly in the clouds. He said, no, I can't. He said, I'm severe claustrophobic. He said, I go into catatonic fits. He said, you'll have to fly it. I said, I'll have to fly it. I looked at him and I said, you hear me, you can fly this plane. You will fly this plane. No one else here can fly this plane. You will fly this plane. And with that, his eyes go like the little slits, and he starts mumbling, Jesus save us, Jesus save us. Now, my friend in the back hits me and he said, you'll have to fly it. I said, I can't fly this plane. I said, come on, wake up, you can fly this plane. I mean, this, it, this, he just like left. He opens his eyes a little and he said, I didn't know there were any clouds. I said, how could you not know there were clouds? It's been overcast all cotton picking day. There were no stars when we left. There are clouds. Now you can fly in the clouds. No, I can't. Jesus save us. And sweat is just popping out of him. And like in 15 seconds, his hair is wringing wet. And my friend said, I'm gonna kill him. I said, no, we're gonna land, then we're gonna kill him. I'm gonna tell you, don't kill him, we need him right now. He just absolutely went catatonic and checked out. And here we are with this airplane. Now my friend came up with an idea. He said, look, you fly it. And never having done this before, we are now doing a lot of this, all right, I mean, you, you don't really, that is just not easy to get this thing doing this. It's kind of, and, and we're discussing this, and there's one little instrument there that I now know is called the artificial horizon. We said, let's just use that one. Because I think that's supposed to tell you where the ground is. And we'll just, so we're, we're kind of going along like this, porpoising our way through the clouds.
And I'm still talking to this guy. I said, come on, wake up. You can, you can do this. Now, my mother would want you to do this. Get in here. <laughs> my friend says, I'll try the radio. And we can't figure out how to turn it on. Did not know that a button that doesn't say anything, you're supposed to push it. So now we're just like pushing lots of buttons. And some unusual things are happening. And so we're saying, we got to find the right button because we may not be able to undo something here. Finally, we hit a button and the radio lights up. My friend is leaning over from the back seat. He's got the radio. And he said, how do we know to get a hold of him? I said, I don't know. Just start talking and move that little thing and see if we can get somebody. <laughs> not knowing there's a heap of channels in there. My friend's back there. Hello, hello? Hello, hello? And I'm back there saying, oh, please, somebody say hello back, all right? And then he would say, flip it. And I'd flip it one, and we'd go, hello, hello? Hello, hello? After doing that for 20-some minutes, we're just still porpoising along saying, it's not easy. I mean, we're saying hello, hello. And the poor guy in the back seat, when, when I'd get the porpoise at the wrong spot, you know, it's like a roller coaster a little bit, he'd be saying, hello, hello. You know what I mean? He'd sort of get a little different hello tone to it. Which wasn't funny at the time at all, but now strikes me as funny, all right? Finally, we hit one channel, and he says, hello, hello. And miraculously, a 747 freighter flown by Flying Tigers Airline is crossing the Pacific that night. And in turning channels, we later found out, on the way to his channel, he hit the one we're saying hello on. So he comes back and says, hello, hello, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, we said, glory to God, don't leave. <laughs> we said, look, we, we, I don't know how to fly this. He said, you mean you don't have a pilot? I said, well, we got one, but he's fundamentally useless. All right, he's, <laughs> that's what I told the guy. He's of no value right now. And I'm flying this, and, and we don't know what to do. Can you help us? Now, he's very helpful. He said, listen, I can tell by my range meters here that we're separating from you. And he said, we're going to be losing you shortly. Then he said this. He said, I'm going to give you some information that can save you. But he said, it's not going to do you one bit of good if you don't get it right. Don't you ever forget. Amen. We got some information that can save us. But it doesn't do any good if you don't get it right. I said, okay, I'll write the numbers down. My hand is just, and I handed, I said, I can't write. The guy in the back is trying to write the numbers. He's having the same problem. Now, we're still doing this, too. So we write these numbers down. Then here's what he said. He said, you got to leave me and get them. He said, we've already called Anchorage. He said, they're looking for you. And then that flying tiger's co-pilot said, we're praying for you guys. He said, now you've got to take a step of faith and leave me and go there. And I said, tell him we don't want to leave him. He's the only thing that's worked so far tonight. He said, no, you've got to leave me.
We only had one little radio. So we ended up leaving him. And we went to the frequency, he said, and it was Anchorage. And Anchorage said, we've been waiting for you. We're looking for you. And they said, now we want you to make a right-hand turn. Now we want you to make a left-hand turn. Now make another right-hand turn. Now another left-hand turn. And I said, what, what, what are we doing? I said, you don't understand. There's millions and millions of square acres here. We're searching for you. But we're going to find you. Finally, this fellow came back up, and he said, make one more left-hand turn, and we did. And he said, I got you. I want you to hear what he said next. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, I want you to know, I know right where you are. Now he said, as long as you will follow my voice, I'll bring you home. But he said, if you won't follow my voice, I can't get you home. He said, now I want you to make a right-hand turn. We made the turn, and he said, I didn't want to scare you ahead, but he said, you are flying along a cliff range that is 12,000 foot high. He said, you fellas were four miles and closing. He said, you have flown up two ridge lines. How you got through the canyons, we don't know. And I'm telling him, well, we're just doing this. That's, <laughs> can't see anything. Now he came back and he said, I'm going to bring you home. But he said, I don't want you looking outside. And he said, I don't want you trusting your feelings. You've got to trust my voice. Because he said, somewhere in here your feelings are going to say, I don't want to do that. And he said, I do not want you flying on your feelings. I want you flying listening to my voice. For the next two hours, all I did was listen to that voice. Pull it up a little bit put it down a little bit. Now I want you to go left. And then he'd say, now we're going to shake for a while, because he said, I'm taking you through a pass. And he said, it's going to shake pretty good. But he said, I'm there. So he said, I know where you're at. I asked him this question. We we're sitting there shaking pretty good. I said, I don't know if I should ask this, but I said, have you ever lost one? He said, not one that listens to my voice. Finally, he said, guys, we've cleaned everybody out. He said, you're only 40 miles from the airport now. But he said, we got a little problem. We're below minimums. I said, what's that mean? He said, the weather's down. But he said, I'm bringing you in. He said, you got to listen to me. He said, we got a bunch of freighters and passenger planes that are waiting to refuel that are in the air circling. And one of them wants to talk to you. Next thing I know, here's a guy. He said, I'm a United captain. We're praying. Take her home, boys. Take her home. Another guy came up. I'm dealt, I'm this. And then the guy with the voice said, you got a host that's watching you. <laughs>
and they're looking for you to bring it home. Now, I'd never done this. And he said, we got you all lined up. And he said, you're going to come right down. And he said, you're going to scare yourself. I said, I've been scared all night. I mean, this is all right. And by now, I've kind of given up on our pilot friend here. He's just, Jesus, save us. Jesus, save us. And, and I'm like, I hope he's praying. I hope he's not having a fit. But I just pray. And he said, guys, and I didn't know this. Pilots would. He said, to get home, I got to bring you by the cross. He said, you are going to see the most brilliant white cross you've ever seen in your life. He said, it's at the end of the runway. And he said, I'm going to bring you down and you'll see the cross and then you're home. Down we went. And he kept telling me, you're just a little bit from the cross now. Stay with me. Stay with me. And boom, up came these lights. And it was a white cross. And then boom, we hit the ground. Now, I didn't understand that there was a spring in that landing gear. So I hit the ground and we went airborne again. <laughs> and now the pilot wakes up. And he says, I'll take it from here. I said, don't you touch nothing. <laughs> Sweet Jesus, don't you touch a thing. <laughs> Aside from taking out a pretty good row of landing lights and nudging one building, we landed totally unharmed. Totally. The next morning, about 10 o'clock, there's a knock at my door. And I open the door, there's a guy standing there, I don't know him, and he says, hi, David. I said, you're the voice. I know that voice. You're the guy that got me home. He stuck out his hand and he said, aren't you glad you listened? You know what? God says, you got a simple choice. You can try doing it my, your way, or you can do it by his voice. He says, without this love, we're nothing. He says, without this love, nothing matters. He says, without this love, we're just an irritating noise. And God says... I want to bring you home. But you got to follow my voice. What would it take tonight for you to stop how you've been doing it and say, God helping me, not tomorrow, but tonight. By God's grace, I'm going to start world-class agape-ing. You see, God wants to do it through you, but you got to pull the faith trigger. That decision on your part is what releases it from God's part. What voice are you going to listen to? Oh, you start acting nice and kind. Everybody will take advantage. And all of a sudden, what voice are you going to follow? Yeah, but you treat them kind and they don't even appreciate it. It's aggravating. Are you going to run your life by how you're feeling or are you going to follow the voice? I promise you, 
God's way is the only way that'll take it home. I want to confess to you too many days, too many weeks, too many months, too many years, little or no agape. And I ask you tonight, are you world-class, long-suffering, kind? God's looking for some people to show himself strong through. My Bible says the Spirit of God right now is going to and fro through the whole earth looking for who he can use. I want to be one he can use. Would you tonight pull that agape trigger? God, I want this world to see world-class kindness. A love that could only be from you through me. It's time for you to decide what voice you're going to listen to. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for putting up with us. But in these closing moments of this night, we want to be everything you've commanded us to be. World class. The people who love. How many of you say tonight, David, God touched my heart. I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. But I haven't been world class love like I need to. And tonight I'm going to ask God as never before to agape through me. God spoke to my heart tonight. If that's true, lift your hand right now. Lift them quickly, lift them high. You've raised your hand. I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. Don't hesitate, don't delay. No one will do what's right when they leave if they don't do what's right, right now. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. It's so easy to work hard, to work diligent, to work tirelessly, but not love. God, forgive us in our homes. Forgive us in our ministries. Forgive us at work. We want to show this world.